Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Bhutang saranangachami dhammang saranangachami sangang saranangachami Dutiyampi bhutang saranangachami dutiyampi dhammang saranangachami dutiyampi sangang saranangachami Tatiyampi buddhang saranangachami tatiyampi dhammang saranangachami tatiyampi sangang saranangachami So hope that everybody's keeping well wherever it might be. And <coughs> got a question the other day on the YouTube channel. So I thought to do the uh, Dhamma discussion about that question today. So the question was... May I request a Dhamma talk on cultivating wholesome mind states, especially for times when the senses are overloaded, like in public, media, etc., when the nervous system is hijacked and <coughs> sati is present due to practice. However, the body is in the mode like an, like an animal, like, or like if the animal is either defending or escaping. How to cultivate the truth of dukkha, in time of dukkha, in times of quiet, for times of disquiet. <clears throat> so, one of the things about the way that the mind works is that it, it's a system, actually. So it's not a car, it's not a, com a compartment. You know, so, it's not the case that what we do in one aspect of our life, the intentions that we make in one aspect of our life, have no effect on what we do in other aspects of our life. So one of the biggest aspects of Western culture, at least the Western culture that I'm familiar with in Canada, the United States, I can't say for uh, Europe or other places, but <coughs> distraction is a big part of the culture. And distraction is what people consume. This is essentially what entertainment it can be in Western culture, is distraction. So, one goes to a movie and one is distracted for two hours or three hours. And the, one is usually distracted by violence and sensuality. That's how one gets distracted in these things. And actually, when I went back to Canada, I was asking, uh, you know, because life changes very quickly <laughs> in, in Western society. So I was asking, what, uh, you know, what's life like now? For people, you know, what's life like for young people? It was, it was a, guy, a fellow in his 30s, so, you know, maybe one generation lower than me. And he was describing some of uh, the things that were going on and reluctant to tell me because <laughs> I'm a monk. But enough to say that I picked up that uh, what, pe what people can consume these days is much, it gets into some immoral areas. So <clears throat> what essentially happens when one distracts oneself is that what one is doing is one is covering up a problem. So you can imagine almost as if you had something small and smelly, like say a cat or something like this takes a, a poo on the floor. And instead of cleaning up the poo, you take a mat and you cover, the mat, you cover up the poo with a mat. And so it goes, the smell goes away for a period of time. But then it infects the mat and it gets worse. 
So the larger the thing you cover up with, the the more time you have essentially, the more kind of time you have before it starts to smell. But when it starts to smell, it's actually engaged. <laughs> it's actually engaged the mat. The mat has now become corrupted. The mat itself actually smells. So you need a larger portion to distract from that. <clears throat> so it's similar with the way that one engages in, let's say one can, one can just say entertainment, these things that distract one, these things that one consumes that are becoming more and more potent, uh, more and more distracting. When one distracts oneself from the problems in one's life using these things, it's like covering up the problem with a mat. <clears throat> so at first what happens is that one is absorbed into the movie or one is absorbed uh, in whatever it is that uh, one might be consuming. But what happens is that the problem escalates in the background. And as it escalates, it starts to penetrate through the delusion through the distraction of, let's say, the movie, for example, and eventually the problem will come up, it can come up even when one, one is watching the movie. It's not sufficient to distract oneself. So then one has to go searching for more and more potent means, and society provides them. The, the economy is built, in a sense, to provide increasingly potent levels of distraction. <clears throat> Now the tricky thing about this is that we always have a mind, one always has a mind. And so when one goes into places of quiet, then <clears throat> one can see what it is that one has been, uh, what, it, what it is that one has been cultivating. If the mind is very agitated, <laughs> you know, one can, sometimes one won't even be able to sit still if one has been cultivating these things. One has been distracting oneself, engaging in lots of entertainment. And, and uh, lots of chatting. When the mind, when one goes to places of quiet, one will not be calm. One will not be peaceful. And this is this is actually what the mind is like all the time. So the solution for this is actually to withdraw oneself from these kind of forms of uh, extreme, from forms of entertainment that are extremely distracting in this way. Now, for these things that are based around sexuality and violence, there are things that are. Uh, that are maybe fun for a person to watch or whatever, movies to consume in that moment, but they, just, they have a horrible effect on the mind. And it's kind of uh, distracting for a little bit in the long term, very terrible. <clears throat> so essentially what they do is they start to erode away our coping mechanisms where we can see, we can be with an unpleasant feeling and make appropriate decisions in the face of that unpleasant feeling. We get so used to distracting ourselves. <laughs> from things that are unpleasant, then what happens when something unpleasant comes up is we're unable to cope. And the body can sometimes in those situations go into a mode of either fight or flight. It's the very last line of defense. Actually, it's freeze, flight, fight in that order. I was kind of listening to, uh, and listening to a fellow named Joe Navarro who's made some good, uh, uh, good discoveries or good, has good insights into that. But in any event, that's an aside. So <clears throat> when one's coping mechanisms become so worn thin that all one has is distraction as a coping mechanism, small things can turn into large anxieties, can send the body into freeze, fight, or flight, freeze, flight, or fight mode, because this is the last line of defense that the body has. It's an instinctive thing. It's, it's located in the most basic part <laughs> of the human mind, you know, the, the most instinctive part that can hijack conscious thought. So what we want to do is to pull our mind back from these distracting forms of, for what one wants to do is to pull one's mind back from these distracting forms of entertainment that leave us only with the very last line of defense. 
and start to engage the mind when these difficulties come up in one's life to engage it from the perspective of Dhamma, engage it with control, engage it with the higher parts of the brain. <laughs> these parts of the brain are lines of defense that essentially come before the very last one. You know? So we want to give them more and more space, more and more control over the mind. We want the territory of the mind that's in our conscious control to grow larger. Now when that happens, when there's some big stimulus in public or the media or whatever it might be, we've already been training the mind in times of quiet. When we meditate, these difficult things come up. We learn how to deal with them through the practice of the Dhamma, through applying the appropriate remedy in our meditation practice. When we learn to do this in times of quiet, that skill carries over to times of disquiet, provided that we're not distracting ourselves. <laughs> This is the thing, the mind operates as a system. So if we meditate for an hour a day, and then for three or four hours a day, we distra one distracts oneself with very potent forms of distraction that are generally immoral, generally viewing people doing things in movies that are uh, immoral, <laughs> that, are, that are sometimes gross breaches of the five precepts. So these are things that people uh, that one can enjoy, one enjoys watching in movies. This is what movies are about. You show a movie of people keeping the eight precepts or the five precepts, would be a really boring movie that almost nobody wants to watch. So because the mind is a system, if we're engaging our mind in this way for a portion of our day in increasingly potent ways, it's creating an atmosphere in the mind where we're distracted, where the problems in our mind grow larger and where our coping mechanisms grow weaker. So we want to withdraw our mind from these forms. One can withdraw their mind from these forms of sensuality. Now in the past, these very potent forms of sensuality didn't really exist. Um, I'm not the type of monk who likes to complain about technology because I think that uh, I tend to have the view that, uh, that basically one can practice you know, using technology as a tool. However, in former times when these very potent forms of technology weren't around, they had other people had other ways of <laughs> doing evil in those days. But one of the things that was probably more powerful then was one's relationships with other people. So the Buddha recommends that one cultivate, uh, that one cultivate these six types of relationships in one's life, from one's, to one's parents, to one's uh, workers, to one's teachers, to uh, one's uh, children and spouse, to, um, to one's spiritual mentors, etc. These six relationships. If one engages in people cultivating these relationships in an appropriate way, one can do this through technological means, <laughs> through Facebook or Zoom or whatever, but face-to-face -face is better, then one can take away the time one is spending distracting oneself and apply it to these relationships. Yeah. If one is not a monk, if one is living in a lay society, just trying to go 100% into times of quiet, that can cause problems. Actually, this too, if one doesn't do it skillfully, can lead to these fight or flight responses because one doesn't have the adequate defense mechanisms in one's mind to deal with these times of quiet. And staying in quiet alone all the time is very intense. And one needs, one can need a support community to bolster one, to push one up, and to act as a safety net if one goes into times of quiet and it's too intense. So if one is a lay person, then one can withdraw some of the time one is spending on entertainment and apply it to these relationships. Try to develop 
better relationships, better reciprocal relationships with one's uh, parents, with one's wife and children, or husband and children, with one's teachers. And this is important, actually. And kind of, we all have people who've taught us. We should have relationships with them that are grateful. And we should even look to keeping in contact with them sometimes after our official teaching relationship, our teacher-student relationship has ended. See how they're doing. Hmm? Look to the people in our life who have helped us and see how they're doing, especially when they get old. Kind of in a society where we're so built to consume all the time, old people are sometimes left by the wayside because they don't provide. (laughs) They don't provide any exciting sensual stimulus. They're you know, they're actually a reminder of what's happening and what's going to happen to us. But when we take this and flip it on its head, we develop these sources of happiness that are inside, that bolster our strength. And these relationships can act as a safety net for us. And this safety net is another line of defense before fight or flight. So we learn to put these various blockages, these various, uh, these various safeties in place that help us along the way so that when we go into a situation in public or the media or whatever it might be and the nervous system is hijacked, we don't go into fight or flight mode because we've already got more conscious control for the mind. Because we already have these relationships that we've cultivated that are wholesome and these relationships cultivated well can bolster our meditation practice. They give us a sense of goodness. They give us a sense of wholesomeness and having done something well and having repaid the people well who've helped us. This is a a source of food for the mind, a source of safety for the mind. One other final side note, branching off of this consumption of media that is worthwhile to talk about and that ties into these six relationships is the consumption of news, news media. So oftentimes news media is based on things that are very, very far outside of our control. And the news media that sells the most is the news media designed to scare people, designed to make people worried. Now, certainly, living in a democratic society, one has certain values or certain responsibilities in that society. One has to vote. And so, to a certain extent, if one is a layperson, one should know what's going on in the news. However, there's a tipping point. Actually, what's necessary to know is very, very little. I mean, you can, you can even read that. You don't have to watch the news every single day and all these kind of things. What this can do, actually, this consumption of news, is it can make what's important, what seem what's important in our life, very far away. And what's happening in another country thousands and thousands of kilometers away is more important than what's happening right here in our house, <laughs> in the temples that are close to our house in the people, in the circle of friends that we know, this is what's more important. And this is what we talk about. So when these things become more important and they're perpetually negative, we're perpetually consuming them, essentially it puts the mind into a state of fear because there's always something negative happening in the world. Actually, the fact of the matter is that the world at the present time, despite its wars or whatever it might be, is relatively peaceful. If anybody has been a student of history, then one can see the types of wars and things that were happening back then. They're completely, (laughs) they make our time seem like a paradise. And yet we can be constantly worried by this consumption of news in an inappropriate way. The other thing that this does that makes our life seem out of control is it makes things seem important that are completely out of our control almost. And we have very little ability to affect a war thousands of miles away. We can gripe about it. One can vote for things, you know, to, I don't know, maybe uh, negotiate for peace. <laughs> but 
there's very little that one can actually do oneself to say stop a war. And kind of, if the whole population is involved in being worried about things that are very, very far away from their immediate circle, from these six relationships, one's life can seem very far out of control. And if one is talking about this all the time, if these, one's perceptions are built around this news media in this way all the time, then these six relationships that are actually the most important things, <laughs> some of the most important things in one's life, actually, this is where the big news is as far as one's happiness and sadness goes, more or less. These things start to seem very small, start to seem very inconsequential, and they can be neglected. So one wants to be very careful to consume uh, news media in the appropriate proportion, which actually doesn't have to be that much, and make the big news in one's life. What's going on in these six relationships? What am I doing in these six relationships? These are the people that are close to me that have helped me. What am I doing to help them? This is the big news. <laughs> how am I balancing these relationships? This is the big news. And how am I training my mind when I'm alone? How am I consuming media and how does this affect my meditation? This is the big news in one's life. When these things are the big news in one's life, when one has these blockages in place, this fight or flight mode is way, way in the background, way, way behind. And it's not something that uh, uh, is going to be activating all the time every time one goes out into public. One's anxiety can lessen. <laughs> one's fears can lessen because one has greater control over one's mind. And for the times when one isn't in greater control over one's mind, one has cultivated sources of safety, sources of relation in, in one's relationships that are actually close to one that can act as a bulwark, that can act as a blockage, that can act as a barrier for the flood when the hard times come. So one always wants to look at what one's consuming and how one's consuming it. This is the meaning of the word upadana, one uh, one is sustained by the things that one latches onto. So one wants to make sure that what one is latching onto is good, that the food that's sustaining one is good, and that it's a source of strength for the mind, so that the mind can become strong, and it isn't driven into stages of worry and fear that are, that are things that are very, very difficult to overcome. Okay? So think that, leave that for reflection and wishing everybody all the blessings of Dhamma practice.